Well, hello again. Welcome to another episode of Two Ways News. I'm Tony Payne. And I'm Philip Jensen. It's good to see you again, Philip, and welcome everyone to this uh, edition. Today, we're going to be thinking about the subject of work. I've been doing some lectures at Moore College recently in third year ethics, and work is one of the topics I've been working up. And as I've been thinking about it, I've had a few fresh thoughts on this perennial topic. You've been working on work. I've been working on work. So we'll come Work fascinates me. I could watch it all day. <laughs> now that's from um, the I... idle thoughts of an idle fellow. Who oh, is it? it? Jeremy J. Car- Jerome, eh? Yeah, Jerome yeah. K. Jerome. Yeah. <laughs> yes, work fascinates me. I'd like to have it by me, he used to say. I'd like to be able to look at it. Yes. <laughs> well, we'll come back to the question of work. I just wanted to share a couple of short bits of correspondence uh, we've been getting lots of great emails recently, and these are just some short ones that I found amusing and that I thought I'd share with you, Philip, and with our listeners. Both of them are to do with the episode a few episodes ago on how to be unhappy in church and the problem of grumbling and complaining. The first one is on that subject. Michael writes to us and says, I well remember a friend of mine who became the rector of a church, and he had a lay couple there who were constantly grumbling and seeking to undermine him. And one day... Uh, even though he'd been far more tolerant than I would have been, he finally went to them and said, look, I'm not really going to change. And if you find that a problem, I think the only option is to move to another church where you can be far more content. Then sometime later, um, the rector received a note from a fellow rector at the other church, which the couple had now moved, saying, would you please have them back? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, there are blessed subtractions in some churches, yes. Yeah, it sort of illustrates that one of those principles in that article was sometimes the problem is with us, not with yes, the church. Yes, it is, yeah. Very much so. And the other one was um, one that I'm not sure you, you you may find amusing, Philip, I hope you do. We were talking about weaker brother, stronger brother as part of that issue and how you work on if issues where you disagree about something non-scriptural, as it were. Yes. And a good friend, mutual friend of ours wrote in and said, some years ago I was at Katuma Summer School, I found myself in the back row, seated behind Philip and Peter Jensen. Where and the naughty children sit. That's right, back, right up yes. the back. And the next song began, and it was Shine, Jesus, Shine. Ah, one of my very favourites. Well, it wasn't, because Philip <laughs> and the respectful Helen stayed seated, refusing to sing, apparently in disagreement with this terrible song. But and not the, with each other. No. And at the same time, Peter, and of course Christine, stood and sang with great gusto. So should I stay seated or should I sing? Which of these two was my weaker brother? Yes, quite so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no comment required. No comment required and no answer to the question either. Not indeed. No. Thank you for sharing that with us. Now, as I said, I've been thinking about the subject of work a little bit more and it's a classic one for Christians and there are all kinds of practical situations and questions that we have about work. Uh, the classic question, especially if you're a younger, keen Christian, what's Full-time ministry, is that for me? Or should I go into the workforce? And what are the implications of each of those choices? For people in work, lots of questions surrounding career, so-called, and jobs. Which job should I choose? Should I take this promotion? How do I think about advancement and ambition? There's questions we have, of course, about juggling family and work and whether mums and dads are any different in this case, in this question, have any sort of different focus. And of course, there's the general issue of just how to be a Christian at work and how to think about the significance of our work somehow Christianly. Yes, and complaints, and I think in some ways legitimate complaints, but though work will occupy you know, half my waking life, 
It's not a subject that's addressed in the, from the pulpit. It's not something that we really talk about in church, particularly about our work. Yeah, it's a very common question in a sense that work is a kind of spiritual sort of almost... Vacuum. Vacuum or dead zone. Mm. I just go there because I mm. have to. And the only significance is, well, I earn money, I suppose, in mm. order to pay for myself and, and give to the church. But mm. apart from that, are all those hours of any significance? Do they yeah. mean anything? So we're not going to be able to answer all those questions in this podcast. And in fact... I suspect we'll get to the end of this discussion and have those questions to come back to. Um, What I wanted to try to do was maybe do some fresh thinking about how we think about what work actually is, because one of the problems in thinking about this is just defining what we mean by work. Yes, Uh, it's it's a problem, isn't it, when you have a rest day? You see, if you are an English teacher, is reading a novel restful or work? Yeah, indeed, or more pointedly, sometimes for people who are gospel ministers, does that mean I stop being a Christian? <laughs> do I do no reading of the word, no speaking of the word? Do I, if I encourage my family on the rest, I am I am I still working, or have yes. I stopped? Yes, this is very difficult, and it, it comes down to how we define work. Of course, can the same activity, and from one viewpoint or through one lens, be considered work, and the same activity in a different context not be considered work? A musician, a professional sports person. And so on and so forth. Now, just to sketch in some background, we're not going to be able to look at all the sort of theological background of the question. But of course, over the centuries, there's been a number of prominent attempts to come up with a framework to think about the theological Christian significance of work. There's the classic cultural mandate view of work, especially strong in, say, the reform tradition, where the Genesis mandate to multiply and fill and subdue the earth and have dominion and the commission for Adam to work the garden and keep it is sort of seen as a charter for humanity to develop the world culturally and for that to be the purpose of work is to develop the world. And we've got this mandate to kind of make something of the world, and that's the significance of work. It's kind of like a, a cultural mandate. There's that view. The second main view that's gone through is the vocational view of work, obviously coming, especially in our context, coming out of the Reformation and Martin Luther's work, that vocational calling is a way to think about the significance of work. Luther had all sorts of reasons why that was how he wanted to address the question, especially in his context, where you had this stark division between the religious or spiritual workers and the mundane secular workers and the great divide between the two at the Reformation. And more recently, there's been a different way to try and understand work, and that is, I'm I'm going to call it seeing work as an eschatological investment. That is something we do now that in some way contributes to or builds the kingdom of God and has a contribution and a significance in the new creation. Somehow the work we do now lasts into the new creation. And the reason it's significant is because it's going to be eternal in some way. Yeah. Um, now, each of those three views have various, various important and good things to say about them, but they all share one particular problem that particularly bothers me. And that is when you look in the New Testament, you can't find anything that corresponds to any of them. No, that's right. They're kind of textless. Yes, the only kind of discussion in the New Testament about work. I mean, there's there's references to work, isn't there? You know, God has good works for us, prepared for us to walk in and so on. But the one discussion about kind of gainful employment, shall we call it, is 2 Thessalonians 3. And it doesn't give you any of those kinds of high-minded philosophies or theologies to explain. It's it's very much more down-to-earth, pragmatic. If you don't work, don't eat. 
and work is is seen as in some primary sense a way of providing for your own material needs so as not to be a burden to the community. Yes. Um, I mean, if we look at that passage, there's other things like yes. love and, yes. com- and community, but there's not there's not some kind of grand eschatological scheme. Which is kind of disappointing if, if you're looking for something more significant. And in fact... And if to, Paul had it, he could have used it. <laughs> <laughs> to his credit, Miroslav Volf, who's written a very influential and significant book on this topic called Work in the Spirit Towards a Theology of Work... Been an influential book, not in its own sense and right only, but it's also been quite influential into Tim Keller's work on work. So his book right. Every Good Endeavor, I yes. think, leans to some extent on Wolf's work. Right. And to his credit, Wolf recognizes the exact point you're making. And I've I've actually marked a passage here in the book where he says the explicit New Testament statements about work view it very soberly as a means of securing sustenance, not as an instrument of cultural advancement which is what you yes. just said. Yes. And he says, well, that's a shame because, well, surely you've got to say something about cultural advancement. And so he goes on to say, the answer to the question of how to translate into a Christian theology of work the silence of the New Testament about any broader significance of work than mere sustenance depends ultimately on the nature of New Testament eschatology. For the significance of secular work depends on the value of creation, and the value of creation depends on its final destiny. If its destiny is eschatological transformation, then in spite of the lack of explicit exegetical support, we must ascribe to human work inherent value, independent of its relation to the proclamation of the gospel. Brackets, human work and the proclamation of the gospel are each in its own way directed towards the new creation. Since much of the present order is the result of human work, if the present order will be transformed, then human work necessarily has ultimate significance. So on the basis of silence, here is my thinking. We've got to find some other theological framework to fill the void, to yes. uh, fill the silence, which I think is a shame because it's it's not the way we should proceed. We should look at not just what the New Testament says, but why it says it, but also bear in mind what it doesn't say. Yes. And give the same emphasis in our theology and the, and the shape of our theology that the New Testament itself gives. It's very hard to believe that people in the first century world did not have work in some sense the same as that we do, providing for ourselves. And if it is a matter of sufficiently for me to write a whole book on the subject, to not have a verse, a peg upon which to hang my thoughts, as the old saying was, well... I don't think I'd start the book. It is a shame, and as the book develops, despite it saying lots of good things, and especially in his definition of what work is, which I've kind of drawn from and learned from, I think the problem with Wolf's presentation is exactly that, that he's building a theological framework to explain something in a way that the New Testament never does. And where he does go to the New Testament to find elements of that framework, it's never talking about work when it's developing that framework, and that's that's part of the problem. Yes, it's, it's not just that it's not there, it's the subject of work is there, and it doesn't use this framework. Yes. And this eschatological framework is there, and doesn't use it on the subject of work. And is never referred to the subject of work. That's so right. that is a very intentional silence. I would have thought so, and it's occurred to me as I've looked at a whole bunch of the New Testament's uh, passages and the Old Testament's passages about work and thought about how it does theologize about work. I think one of our problems is that we have quite a restrictive definition of work in our heads. I think it's very hard for us to think about work, in inverted commas, 
without thinking about gainful employment, without thinking about the job we have that earns money. We are in the post-industrial society. Absolutely. And yes, that means we have senses of there are workplaces that you go to. One of the COVID consequences is we're not going to the workplaces anymore in the same way, but it's still in our mind, this sense that you go to work. Yeah, we have a very economic view of work in the sense of the way our whole economy functions. And the work is the thing you do to contribute to the whole economy. It's where you leave your home, you go somewhere, well, if you do, and you do something for which you are paid money and that that's what you gain from work. It's You gain other things possibly from the enjoyment or satisfaction of doing it, but work is that thing you go and do. Yes. It's also highlighted and amplified by the enormous degree of division of labour we have in a modern industrial society. As we've become more complex as well, the world's become more complex. There's yes. an extraordinary subdivision and subdiv- subdivision of yeah, labour. that's right. In living in a village in the medieval period, you know, yes, there was the blacksmith, but there's a lot of overlap and interchange that was just plain and obvious. Whereas now you have people doing jobs that other people have no idea or understanding what the job involves. You didn't realise that there was someone who did that. No. Absolutely. So we have that kind of view of work, and the, the result of that is that we tend to think of any non-paid work, any work that is not part of that economic system, as not really being work. Yes, that's right. And so the classic case, of course, is is domestic work. We don't regard working, for example. Say you, you spend two or three days of your week keeping your own veggie garden and milking your own cow so as to apply the, the wants of food for your family. That's not work, whereas paying somebody else to milk a cow. If you if you milk a cow and grow veggies in order to sell them to someone else, that would be work. Yeah, that's right. If I mow my grass, it's not work. But if I employ someone to mow it, well, he's a worker. But it's the same job. The same amount of grass is getting mowed. I mean... For the same purpose. For the same purpose. Although he most likely do it better than me because I'm no good at doing it. But it's, it's the same thing. But suddenly it's work because it's gainful employment and it's not work because I'm not paying or being paid. In other words, work is a larger category, even if we stop and think about it in our own lives, than just gainful employment, just being paid a salary for doing something. And it's certainly that way when we think in the Bible about all the way it thinks about work. It's a bigger category of activity. And that helps us to maybe, as it often does, to stop and think, well, maybe the way we're thinking about this subject is part of the reason we're struggling to work out what the Bible is saying about it, because we've restricted it down to something narrower than the Bible's talking about. Yes, I'm sure that's the case. So if you think about all the different ways just the Bible thinks about work or talks about work, it does mirror many of the things we also do. So, for example, at one level, the word work in the Bible or um, words for labour and toil, they're, they're applied to all sorts of things. To some extent, it's just a word for any kind of deed or action you might do. But they had many of the same sort of things that we identify as work, just more besides. So there's certainly the phenomenon in the Bible of selling your labour for wages. Uh, they understood the whole concept of of the workers of the vineyard who get a certain wage, or even the ox who gets a certain wage for treading out the grain. Um, but you also had people who sold and traded things. That was work to generate income. You also had people, of course, who laboured to produce their own food. So much of the talk of work in, say, Proverbs is about the labour you do in the fields to secure your own sustenance and income and so yes. on. You mentioned Proverbs. I mean, should a woman go to work? You look at Proverbs 31. 
She works. Very, very hard. She works all the time. All the time. But she doesn't work in the fields with the heavy labour. But she does work in sewing, in trading, in... She has... She's involved in trading activities yes. outside the home. She's making things and selling them. She's providing for her own family. She's giving to the poor. She's working constantly for all sorts of things. And her work is variegated. And is almost none of it that I can think of would be saying she's gone out and got a job. No. It's cottage industry that was very common with women prior to the Industrial Revolution when the the factories making clothing put the cottage industry out of business and then took the women out of their homes and put them into factories and created a whole set of new problems in that cheap clothing production. But there's no sense really, no division really, between the domestic work, if I can put it that way, that you would do to maintain and provide for the needs of your family in different ways and, any, and the work that you would do in order to earn income to do the same thing. They're all part, seen as part of the same continuum of the work we do in order to provide for needs. And I think that's a key point. Um, very briefly, though, other kinds of work you see in the Bible, you see the bonded service of various workers, and particularly the bond servants in the New Testament, in those New Testament passages, who are working in that context within a household. You see, of course, the work of the Lord or gospel work And it's interesting how gospel work is spoken of as a kind of work in much the same way. That is, those who engage in gospel work should generate some kind of income from it. The the worker deserves his wages, like the ox deserves the grain. Uh, And also, interestingly, that God is at work. Uh, John 5, my father is working and I am working. What does it mean for God to be constantly at work? Yes, if God wasn't constantly at work, the world would fall apart immediately. It's upheld by the the word of, of God. The word of the Lord Jesus continues to uphold it. He's not doing a work of new creation. That that uh, the the creation is finished in the six days. He's in his rest day, but his rest day still involves him working in the sustenance of the world. He sends his rain on the just and the unjust yeah. alike. He has the cattle on a thousand hills, mm. and so on and so forth. Indeed, so God is working. And I think the other thing you'd want to just say briefly, coming back to the idea of good works, we don't tend to think of good works as work. But it's interesting, the widow, for example, in 1 Timothy 5, I've always been very interested. It says, let this widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 and has been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. And then it says what the good works are. If she has brought up children, so she's been a domestic worker, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. Is the good widow in 1 Timothy 5 a worker? Yes. It's very hard worker by the sounds of it. But on the other hand, not in our sense of the word worker today, which just shows we're talking about something different when we use work linked into gainful employment. When we link it too closely to that, I think it limits our horizons and that confuses us Yes, and gives us questions and problems that we maybe don't need to have. Absolutely. And so here's my attempted definition. I'm going to suggest that work, in the way the Bible talks about it, and I think the way that we actually think about it when we pull back from our post-industrial understanding, it's any instrumental activity, that is an activity not done for its own sake, the product or outcome of which provides for the needs of the worker and or of others. I'll run it past you again. Any instrumental activity that is something that's not done for its own sake. I don't understand instrumental activity. 
doing any work where I'm doing it in order to achieve something. Yeah, an instrumental activity is one that's done not for its own sake, but as a means to some further end. When and I when I sit strumming my guitar... As I do frequently. As you do and I don't. I can be doing that for my own enjoyment, but it can bring enjoyment to people around about me. Indeed, it can be. So is this work in your category at this point? Possibly. When you go to... Could be, if you go to the rest of the definition, an instrumental activity the outcome or product of which provides for the needs of the worker and or of others. And so in that definition, work is something that I do that produces some outcome that's instrumental, that has some end in mind, and that end is the needs of other people, myself or of other people. So in that way, for example, if I were to work in my garden in order to provide food for my household, whether I'm being paid for it or not, I'm working. I'm doing some instrumental activity for the meeting of our family's needs. But if I was to work in the garden uh, so as to give those veggies to my neighbours and share with them, I'm also working because I'm meeting my neighbours' needs, even though there's no money taking place. If you want to come back to guitar playing, I suppose if I'm playing the guitar purely for its own sake and for the joy and and satisfaction I'm gaining from playing the guitar, that might be one thing. But if I'm playing the guitar for the sake of the needs of others, so for example, if I'm an entertainer who gives joy and rest to other people by playing the guitar for them, then that might become my work. Now, does it become my work if I play it for the benefit and enjoyment of my wife when I come downstairs and say, hey, this is what I've learned to play? Well, you're kind of getting into a grey area there, possibly. But isn't it still instrumental, leaving aside the fact, the fact that, that I'm playing an instrument? Yes. playing an instrument. But isn't it instrumental in that your playing is giving you joy and happiness, calm and serenity? To some extent, you could say so. But, but And is that one of my, my, my needs? Well, possibly. But as with all definitions, I don't, I don't want to sort of zero down so much onto the edge case that you're zeroing down on as to, as to miss the main point of the definition, which is by seeing work as something that I do for the sake of meeting the needs of others, okay. out of myself, yep. it helps us to bind together the various things that the Bible's talking about when it talks about work. Yes. It means that the domestic work I do for the needs of my family is work every bit as much as the work I do to provide to earn income that provides for the needs of my family. Yes. And gainful employment, paying, is something you tend not to do inside the family as much as you do outside the family. Yeah. So if I'm, I'm mowing my neighbour's lawn, he may pay me for it in a way that if I'm you know, mowing my own lawn or my son's lawn... I'm not expecting to be paid. There's a different finance in and outside families, isn't there? The way that we manage the economy of work and the trading of work and the doing of work for one another almost always is different within the family than outside. Yes. But it's still work. It's It's the same activity. It's the same activity. Yes, same amount of sweat on the brow. So if you think about it in those terms, that work is what we do, the instrumental kind of activities we do for the sake of meeting our needs and our family's needs and the needs of others... It binds together so many of the things we looked at before as being work and helps us to kind of think about them afresh or think about them in a more theological way because all those different forms of work really are done with an eye on two bigger outcomes or in the um, in light of two bigger principles or theologies. That is, they're done before God and for his glory. He's prepared all these works for us to do that benefit other people. We do our good works so that people will see them and give glory to our Father in heaven. And although it's only referring to one kind of work, and in a particular case study of it, the 
the bondservant works heartily as for the Lord, even when he's not being watched. Now, there's a particular reason why that's commendable as someone who's going to work, even when he's not, his master's eye is not upon him. But it says it's the Lord Christ you're serving. Yes, and that whole first principle is really important. I can hear the second one coming. What do you think it is? Loving your neighbour. Exactly. Because whatever I do for my neighbour, I should do for his benefit or Mm. her benefit. That's why I'm doing it. Whether they pay me or not is not the issue of making it beneficial for them. Mm. And then it also shows that 2 Thessalonians 3 is not an oversight. It actually is expressing what work is about. That is, not being a burden on other people, but providing for yourself and following the, the example of the apostle in working like this. And so the concept of love your neighbour is seen in work. Work is a, a way, form, an expression of how we love our neighbour. And that can be in our gainful employment in a number of ways. We love our neighbour, as you might say, we, by earning enough income so that we're not a burden on our neighbour. It means like the... Um, oh, it means the, the electrician re- does things for me that I can't do myself. Exactly. And the plumber does other things. And the plumber and electrician can pay each other for what they're doing. The fact that there's money being transferred does not reduce its love element. Exactly. So sometimes, very often, the very thing that we're working to produce, the outcome of work in itself is a service to our neighbours in much much that sort of way. The baker who bakes a bread, a loaf of bread, not only earns income to feed his family and to share with others, like the reformed thief who now does good work with his hands so that he has something generous to share, but the very supplying of bread is a service to me that I need. That's right. And would then have applications, but you might want to go on some other time about this, but have applications to the kinds of work that as Christians you really would not have been involved in. Yes. Uh, the gambling industry. I'm not loving my neighbour by providing gambling. I'm hurting my neighbour. I'm actually hurting my neighbour by doing that. And so that's a, an industry that I wouldn't get involved in because it's not succeeding in loving my neighbour. It may be, as a slave, as a bond servant, I don't get much choice because the particular activity in the gambling industry of taking people's monies and giving them receipts or things like that. The little activity is not sinful. It's the context in which it's happening is really sinful. Mm. But so you wouldn't choose to go and work in that kind of industry. Indeed. And... um much as a thief should no longer do the kind of work he was used to continue, which is not a love of neighbour, it's a taking from neighbour in order to satisfy me. So the kind of work we do, whether it's paid or not, whether it's voluntary or not, it's all work. And we should do it to the glory of God and in love of God and in love of neighbour. And it's kind of surprising to me that if you frame work that way to say that it's a direct expression of our love of God and our service of God, and our love and service of neighbour, that somehow there's not much theology to put around work in the New Testament. It's all a bit boring, uh, and we have to find an additional kind (laughs) of eschatological sort of theological framework to give it some significance. I think it's odd, because that has so much significance. Yes. It's the very frame of the whole Christian life, to love God and neighbour. Yes, it's not treating 2 Thessalonians 3 as well. He's not saying much here when he could have said a lot. It's saying he's saying a lot here because it's the important part. Very much so. Now, I think we will probably want to come back and uh, we'll say we come back. Maybe it might just be me because you're going on holidays soon. So I'm not sure if you're going to be here for this conversation. Do you think I'll be working when I'm on holidays? Definitely not. You shouldn't be. I say good. Good. It's time to rest. But while you're away, some of us will have to keep working. And so... Otherwise, uh, the world will fall apart. <laughs> that's right. So I'll probably come back at some point and have another bite of this, perhaps in light good. of viewer feedback and your questions, but also to talk through some of those implications. Well, it would be so, interesting to have the feedback. 
feedback from people on this subject, wouldn't it? Because I think it is one that people have very strong opinions about that would be worth hearing on their definition of work. Very much so, because the implication of what we're saying, if this definition is good, is that Christians are constantly engaged in several different kinds of work, at least three kinds of work I can think of. We're working in all sorts of ways to meet the material needs of ourselves and of our family, whether we're being paid for it or not, in the way we work. We're working to meet the material needs of others in the various ways that we've talked about, loving our neighbour through what we produce for them and how we contribute to them. But we're also working to meet the spiritual needs of others, which is, of course, where gospel work comes in, where it's an instrumental activity to meet need, but it's to meet the need people have for the gospel. And so whether in a voluntary capacity or in a paid capacity, we're all engaged in that work as well. So thinking that we're all constantly engaged in different kinds of work like this, and we do all of them to the glory of God and in love of neighbour, I think maybe gives us a better framework for attacking the questions. So we'll come back to those questions in a little while. I think so. But we pray about what we've spoken so far, eh? Sounds great. Heavenly Father, we do thank and praise you that you have created us in this world to care for your world, to fill it, to exercise dominion over it. We thank you, Father, that you have given us the work to do. We know, Father, that in our fallenness under your judgment, we now find work painful and difficult. And we do pray, Father, you would help us to be able to think clearly about the work that you have provided for us to do so that we would do those things that you're prepared for us to do, to your praise and glory and to the benefit of other people. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.